the five of you who don't know, my name is Will Wingate. Um, I'm the intern here with RUF, as Chris already said. Um, I'm really excited to have this opportunity to uh, speak to you guys tonight. Uh, my two goals tonight are basically to keep it around 20 minutes and not be a heretic. So if I can do those two things, I'll, I'll feel like this has been successful. Um, so, like Chris said, the bar is pretty low for me, so all the affirmation I can get will be great. Um, as I was preparing this, I was thinking about the last time I spoke to a group. It was a group that was much smaller than this, but I think I was about 17 years old, and I was speaking at my youth group, and I don't remember much about the sermon, but I remember in the front row, there's this girl. She had to be like 15 years old, and in the middle of my sermon, I look over and she's just crying, like openly weeping on the front row. And I see it, I'm like, yes. <laughs> this is a success. If I can get her to cry, then that means I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, um, which is not true. I'm not here to make any of you cry. Um, maybe a few of you. Um, but uh, one thing I realized is, like, at the moment, I thought that she was crying because I was, like, killing it. Um, but as I look back, I think the reason she was crying is because I was being a jerk. Um, basically, what I was trying to do in that sermon is I was trying, you know, I was talking to a group of Christians, and what I'm doing is I'm like trying to encourage them to be on fire for Jesus. I want them to go out and be radical. Um, I want them to do better and be better. And the way that I went about doing that was by just like heaping shame and guilt upon them. And basically being like, look, because you're not doing X, Y, and Z, you're not a Christian. And you need to repent and go, like, sit in sackcloth and ashes for the whole night. Um, once again, that's not what I'm going to do tonight. <clears throat> um, so if I could go back in time and preach another sermon to that group, it would probably be from this text. Because Paul, at the end of Ephesians 3, he has this prayer. And what he desires for uh, his readers is really the same thing. He wants them to be people who are actually like passionate about Jesus. He, like, he's gone through all of this great theology and doctrine. And really what this prayer is about is he wants all of this stuff he's been talking about, this big plan uh, of God's for history, he wants this stuff to like take root in their hearts. He wants this to be real to them. He doesn't just want this to be an academic pursuit or like an intellectual hobby. He wants this to be real to them. <laughs> And the great thing about this prayer is in it, Paul's like pulling back the curtains and revealing to us what the Christian life is like, how we grow. Um, he shows us the process, how it happens, where it's leading. And shame isn't really a big part of it. The motivation, the power of it is love. Um, so let's read this together. It's Ephesians 3, if you have your Bible and we have the text up on the screen now. That's great. Um, Ephesians three fourteen through 21. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Um, it is powerful. It is active. It is able to read us and interpret us and look deep into our hearts. And uh, let's pay close attention to what God says here. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together real quick. Uh, Father, you're so grateful uh, that you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, we are grateful that you have it recorded for us uh, in this book. And Lord, we have read this, and it really is enough. It really is enough to, uh, to change us, to transform us, to convict us. But we ask that you would please send your spirit to be with us. Uh, send your spirit to help me to speak. Uh, send your spirit to help everyone in this room to listen. Um, and let this reach our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So the big idea that Paul is uh, communicating this passage is basically how we grow as Christians. And, you know, not surprisingly, I have three points I want to bring out. Um, when we talk about growing spiritually, when we talk about what this looks like, we want to ask, like, what does that really mean? How does God do this? How do we get from point A to point B? And I think this passage shows us three ways that, that happens. First of all, for those of you who take notes, God roots us in Jesus and his love. Secondly, God transforms our hearts through love. And finally, God himself guarantees our growth. So first of all, like I said, God causes us to grow by rooting us in Jesus and his love. And that's just another way of saying that God causes us to grow by rooting us in the gospel. If you look here in this passage, you notice that Paul prays that they would be strengthened. Look in verse 17. He prays they would be strengthened so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith and that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And so if you're reading this, like, Paul is praying this for Christians. So why is he asking that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Like, if you're a Christian, does not Christ already dwell in your heart through faith? Are you not already rooted and grounded in that love? Yes and no. Like, you are. You belong to Jesus. If you're a Christian, God has claimed you as his own. Uh, Jesus has redeemed you with his own blood. God has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in your hearts. Um, but what Paul is saying by asking that these Christians would have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith, he's showing us that this isn't something that happens automatically. This kind of fullness he's talking about, this being rooted and grounded in love, it doesn't happen automatically. It's something that we grow into. And so what that means for you is this. It is very, very, very possible for you to be a Christian, someone who really belongs to Jesus, and for you to be spiritually weak and unstable. So maybe that's encouraging. Maybe it's discouraging. It should be encouraging, because I'm sure all of us feel that way. 
And the reason that we're unstable is because we're not rooted in the right place. So when I was a kid, I grew up in South Florida. And when I was a kid, I had this dream of being like a modern-day Johnny Appleseed. And so I'd ask my mom to, like, buy all these apples, and I would eat them and save the seeds. And I would, like, run around my neighborhood and, like, dig little holes. <laughs> and uh, that, that never worked out. Um, long story short, it was the first of many childhood dreams to just be crushed. Um, the cold, hard weight of reality. Um, and there were lots of reasons why that didn't work out. But one of the big reasons why uh, those seeds never grew is because the soil was crappy. Like, if you've grown up in Florida, you know that the soil is very sandy. And you can be, like, five miles from the beach, and you dig a foot down, and you hit sand. Um, the sand there just cannot sustain an apple tree. <laughs> that's, that's a big lesson tonight, by the way. <laughs> and so Jesus says we need to be rooted in Christ and his love. And what that means when he says that is we as Christians, the core of our identities, the thing that we're rooted in, the thing that we're getting all of our nourishment and our life from, needs to be the objective reality of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and not our own subjective experience. So can I suggest, like, if you're like me, you often feel spiritually weak. <laughs> like, you really do. Um, and like, can I suggest the reason why that happens a lot is because at the end of the day, what we're rooting ourselves in and what we're trusting in is how well we're doing, how much we're feeling it. We're putting ourselves in this soil that can't support and nourish us. Um, this is like the big point. If you get nothing else out of this all night, my point I'm trying to get across to you is this. The historical objective fact of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, where he lived in your place, he fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of the law on your behalf, he died as your substitute, and he rose again so that you would have new life. That needs to be the core of everything you are and do. You cannot trust in your own ability to be a good Christian. You cannot trust in your own ability to grow, to do better, to try harder. And like I said, this isn't something that happens automatically, this like gospel rootedness. And that's because deep down all of us are legalists. Like you're thinking like, well, I'm not really a judgmental person. Like I grew up in a legalistic church. I'm not a legalist. No, really you are. You've just, like, switched out that old law for a new one. And you do the same thing. Because if you're like me, well, the reason I say we're all legalists is because deep down all of us want to build our identities on ourselves and what we've accomplished. And so if you're like me, you wake up every morning and there's just, like, this voice in your head that's telling you you need to be something or you need to do something to justify your existence. And so you feel this pressure of this like ideal vision of yourself that you're trying to attain to. And you're thinking, like, if I could just be that, that version of myself that I always dreamed I could be when I was a kid, if I could just finally get to that point, I would be okay. I would no longer feel this shame. 
I would feel like my life was justified, that I was doing something meaningful. But that's a shell game. Like, every time you reach for it, oh, it's not there. Switch it around again. Oh, it's not there. There's no way to beat it. That mindset will kill you. And you have to put it to death every morning. And the reason that's true is because if that's your mindset, if that's how you're approaching life, constantly working to justify yourself, one of three things is going to happen to you. You're either going to give in to despair, if you're honest with yourself. You're going to like realize, like, dang it, I can't reach that. Or you're going to give in to apathy, and you're just going to stop caring, and you're going to give up on it. Or, if you're type A, if you're a go-getter, you're going to like get some measure of accomplishment in that, and you're just going to become an insufferable, self-righteous jerk. And you're going to think, like, everyone else hasn't gotten this figured out, but I, like, I have succeeded. And that's probably the worst of the three. So the only way we can grow into mature, solid, strong Christians is if we're building our lives on something that can't be shaken. And, like, how you feel day in, day out, that changes. How you're doing, that changes. The only thing we can build our lives on is, as the Jesus Storybook Bible would put it, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And so God grows us by rooting us in Jesus and his love for us. And that's the first point. But the second one is that God transforms us by his love. And so this uh, past week, I watched Frozen. You were waiting for it. A few of you knew that Frozen illustration was coming. Um, And I'm a man. I love that movie. I thought it was amazing. And, like, I'm not ashamed. So... Think what you will. I love the movie. Um, What's the big point of that movie? What's the thing they keep saying over and over again? Love, let it go. Yeah. Uh, It's that only an act of true love can thaw a frozen heart. So let's just let that sink in for a moment. I just want to cry. Okay. Um, So I. I'll give props to, like, the story writers for that, for that one. That was a good line. Um, but that idea is as old as the Bible. Like, they weren't just coming up with that on their own. Um, as Christians, like, know this. Like, regardless of what you grew up hearing or, like, you tell yourself, as Christians, we don't believe in a checklist spirituality. Like, we don't believe that there's this, like, 12-step program to being an awesome Christian. Um, What we believe is that God's love for us is real and it's powerful. And we believe that the more we rest in that love, the more we trust it, the more we cherish it, the more that love begins to transform us because all of us have frozen hearts. We really do. Like... The big message of the Bible is that the way that people change is when they realize just how much God loves them, just how much he has done for them. That changes our hearts. That thaws them. And we are then empowered to actually love God and love other people for the first time. 
Because if you think about this, if you are not firmly founded in the fact that God loves you, that he satisfies the deepest desires of your heart, what you're going to be doing in everything that you call loving God and loving people is really just like running and trying to use those people. You're like a leech, just like trying to suck enough life out of that thing to get you through the next day. And the big problem is, if we're all doing that, we're just all these like leeches like latched onto each other and there's not enough blood to go around. That's a really gross analogy, I know. <laughs> but it's because what that, like, that mindset really is kind of gross. I mean, it's, it's really deadly. And what that leads to is it leaves you feeling exhausted. It leaves you feeling burnt out. It leads you to a place where the people you thought were your greatest friends become the people you hate the most. Because you have put upon them this weight of godhood. You're trying to derive from them something that you can only get from the love of God. So, God's love can really change us. And do you actually believe that? Like, okay, Sunday school answers. No, God loves me. Okay, but do you actually believe that because if I'm being honest with you I'm going to say like I really don't most of the time most of the time I think I have to perform for God I have to earn his love in some way do you really believe that there is a love that is big enough to satisfy everything that your heart craves look at what Paul says here he says I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Like, Jesus' love is wide and long, it's broad, it is deep, it is high. And to kind of fill that in, like, his love is wide enough to embrace every part of your life. Like, not just your church life, not just your RUF life or your academic life, but your family life, you know, your life living with roommates. It's long enough to last an entire lifetime. What other love can do that, really? It's high enough to bring you up to heaven, and it's deep enough to reach to your darkest and most painful in most wretched moments. So if you're a Christian, how would your life change if that love really worked itself deep into your heart and became the core of who you are? And if you're not a Christian, let me ask, honestly, what do you have that can compare to this? What is there in this world, what is there that you're clinging to that could possibly reach as far as this love, that could cover every area of your life and that will sustain you to the very end and not leave you wanting in the least? That's something to think about. And uh, closing up, we're going to look at this uh, final, final two verses here. Paul prays, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. So there's this, um, there's this really great song by Derek Webb uh, called Wedding Dress. And in one of the verses, he sings this. And it's him, him talking to God. And he says, Because I am so easily satisfied by the call of a lover so less wild that I would take a little cash over your very flesh and blood. And I don't know about you, but that really resonates with me. I think probably the biggest problem in my life is that I'm too easily satisfied by cheap substitutes for Jesus. And it's like C.S. Lewis had this great analogy. He said, like, many of us, our desires are too weak. And we're like little kids playing in the mud, making mud pies. And we turn down a cruise at sea. We turn down the offer of going out on a vacation on a cruise because we just can't even comprehend what that means. We're too caught up in our mud pies. And that's often how I am. I'm sure that's often how you are. But, like, thank God that he doesn't leave us there. He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine than like the greatest prayers you've ever prayed, God's able to do infinitely more than the best thing you've ever prayed for or imagined or dreamed. And so here's some good news. Like, you can take this up with you. If you're a Christian, God is more committed to your spiritual growth and flourishing than you are. And in the end, like, we try, we strive, we want to grow. And, like, yes, 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 we must strive, we must try. But in the end, God has far greater plans for us than we have for ourselves. God has brought you to be his very own. He has raised you to life when you are dead. He has reconciled you when you were an enemy. And he will not leave you where you're at. And he will not let you go. And you may look at your life, and you may not like what you see. Like, you may look at your life, and if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a while, you may look at your life, and you see, like, that one thing that just keeps rearing its ugly head again and again and again. And the thing you have struggled against your whole life, and you just feel like you cannot get over it. You cannot get victory over it. Maybe it's anxiety your cynicism, your pride, your greed, your vanity, bitterness, lust, and you try to fix yourself and you can't. And like, let this sink in. It will not always be that way. It will not. If you belong to Jesus, the great promise is that he is at work in your life. And he will not leave you where you are at. And he is committed to bringing you the whole distance. He is committed to conforming you to the image of Christ. And the moment that he called you to be his own, he made it his own personal responsibility to do that. So there is hope for you. Do not despair. Do not give up.
Father, uh, we thank you for your love. Um, we thank you that you are good to us. Lord, please let the truth uh, sink deep into our hearts. Let the gospel sink deep into our hearts. Let us be rooted and grounded in it so that we can grow. In Jesus' name. We're singing a new song tonight, Here is Love. Um, really excited that we get to do this song tonight. Uh, the chorus is just amazing, where it says, Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He will never be forgotten throughout hen's eternal days. And that's really our great hope, is this love that we started in and the love that sustains us is the love that we'll be praising for eternity, and we'll never reach a point where it becomes boring or anything less than amazing. So let's stand together and sing.